Romans 6, 15 to 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of the sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to the lawless, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, you swap things out today, and you have a reason for that. And I just ask you to speak in a powerful way through your word way that changes our lives and our heart. May you awaken us, change us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I used to be the master of strategizing for evil. Back in the day before I knew the Lord, I did some pretty crazy things, and I thought through it. I had a plan. One of the things that I'd often do from uh, as a child in school, I wasn't very bright, nor did I apply myself, but I was, uh, I cheated, I cheated all the time. Cheated all the time in elementary, junior high, and, and high school. Uh, it, it would be as simple as looking onto someone else's paper, to writing answers on my hand. My friends and I would learn how to hide uh, cheat sheets in our, you know, in here. Uh, but the, the ultimate cheat that I was going to try to pull off because I needed to go to college is that I was going to cheat the ACT test. Now, my grade when I took the ACT, my score was terrible. I'm not going to tell you it's embarrassing. You would think less of me. You probably already do, but it is terrible. And I needed to get into college, so I thought, there's no way I'm going to do good on this test, so I need to come up with a plan. So... I told this story to some of you before. I, um, my good friend who was my doubles partner in tennis in high school was much smarter than me, and I said, I'll pay you to take the test for me. And for every point you get above a certain score, I'll bump up your bonus. So we had a plan. And the plan was this. He had to be me. He needed my ID. So he went to the school office. This is our plan. This is my strategy. He went to the school office. He told the school office that he lost his ID. They asked him what his name was. He told them my name. So they took his picture with my name, the new ID. So on that Saturday morning, I drove him to the testing site. We planned everything out. He walked in, said he was me, 
took the test, I waited all day in the car for him, he came back, and then we drove home. All was going good so far. Got the score back, it was awesome. Totally what I needed to get into college. Um, and so I was, I was rolling, I, I mean, I got, a, I got a tennis scholarship, I was on my way to go to college, full ride, total excitement. Then everything came crashing down. I got a letter in the mail from the ACT people a few months later. They said, typically when we have such a discrepancy in scores, we investigate. And as we've investigated these discrepancies in scores, we have noticed that the signature from your first test does not match the signature from your second test. Oops. We never practiced the signatures. I was busted. And I spent the next several months scrambling, strategizing to cover my tracks with through more schemes because that was my life. That's what I did. I strategize for evil, whether it's through cheating or through a variety of other things. And I, 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 I doubt, I doubt you are as bold of a sinner as I was. But you do know what it means to make plans and to strategize for evil or to do wrong. I mean, some of you, it just comes natural, you know, whether it comes in relationship with other people. Sometimes you think of plans to manipulate other people to get what you want. It's your strategy. And some of you who are greedy for money sometimes have strategies for your greed to cash in. And there are others of you who may have strategies to indulge in your flesh, whether that's through sensuality, immorality, overindulge, or extreme pampering of yourself. And some of you have some big schemes and strategies at work <laughs> to cut corners so you can get out of work. We all know what it's like to strategize for evil. But God has a strategy as well. In his strategy was to send his son for schemers, for shysters, for those who strategize evil. And his strategy was to send his son to live a perfect life that we could not live, to die in our place, to be buried and to rise again. And all schemers and shysters and those who strategize for evil, who repent and put their faith in Jesus can be forgiven of their evil strategy. But get this. Now that you're a believer, if you are, you're, you're still supposed to use strategy. You're still supposed to create a plan. But now, instead of strategizing for evil, now you're to strategize for righteousness, for godly living, for pure and holy living. In fact, I'm going to say this way. As much energy and effort and planning that went into your evil ways, you're to now to take all that energy and effort and planning and put it into schemes <laughs> and strategies for righteousness. As much effort as you once put here, now put here for righteousness. That's kind of the idea that we're going to see as we continue to dive more and more into Romans 6. Because what we've been doing for the past several weeks is we've been building a case, a case for Christ-like change. Let's go ahead and put this up. This is where we have been and, and where we're going today, a case for Christ-like change. 
The first thing we saw as we finished up Romans 5 is that you need to expect a change. If you come here this morning and you don't expect a change and you're not believing in the gospel, we expect a change. We want to confess our ruin and receive our rescue in the gospel of Jesus. The second thing we saw as we moved into Romans 6 is we want to embrace our death and resurrection in union with Christ. Our old self was killed, buried, and raised in union with Christ. And as you heard last week from Andy, we saw the concept of exercising your freedom. You're free from the sin and Satan now, and you have the freedom to be who you are. Now live in out of who you are. Now today, as we finish up Romans 6, we're going to see the concept of strategize for righteousness. It's not just about not sinning. Some of you think the Christian life is, if I just don't sin, all is good. <laughs> no, it's not just about not sinning. It's about not sinning so that you can act in a righteous and holy and godly way. And it's not just going to happen. You have to be intentional. You have to have a plan. Just so as you poured your efforts into evil, now you must pour your efforts by the power of the Spirit, by His grace, into godly living. If you think the Christian life is poof going to happen, it's not the case. You've got to have a strategy for righteousness. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's go ahead and jump in. Romans 6, verse 15. Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not in a law, under grace? By no means. He's like, are you kidding me? The law was meant to expose your sin, and now it's exposed your sin. Does it mean you just throw commands out the window? No, no, no. As you walk in His grace, you want to obey the commands of God. He elaborates, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? So we think about our obedience. We, Paul introduces this slavery metaphor. Now don't let it throw you in our context of, of America concepts. But think back into the ancient uh, Roman slavery where many of the slaves were slaves because they volunteered to be slaves in the sense that they had to pay off debts. And so they would submit themselves to this servitude. And the case Paul is making is that every single person in this room and in the world is either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, a slave to evil ways or a slave to godliness, a slave to Satan or a slave to God. Guess what? There is no middle ground. You either serve sin or you serve the Lord. You serve unrighteousness or you serve righteousness. There, there is no middle ground doesn't work that way. And, and I know we say vocally, as best as we can, especially when our voices are working, I know we say vocally that we want to follow the Lord and serve righteousness. But if I, if I hired a detective to follow you around, would it show that you are a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? Now, not perfectly, but your life. If I hired a detective to spy on you secretly, to read your emails, to read your tweets, to follow you around, would it show that you are a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? Because there is 
no middle ground. Now, it's true that a Christian can uh, temporarily be a slave to unrighteousness. But that's not who you are. If you remember the sermon last week from Andy, you've been crucified with Christ. You're in union with Christ. Become who you are. So if you're in here this morning and you are submitting yourself to sin, may that be a temporary submission that you get out of today. There is no middle ground. Those who are slaves to Christ are slaves to Christ and slaves to righteousness. There is no middle ground. Verse 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, you once were, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And do you remember from two weeks ago? Remember this? Two fields. Remember that? Two fields. All of humanity is, is born into this field under the reign of sin and Satan. And there's this big wall and surrounding it. We can't get out. But God and his crane of grace and the gospel of Jesus lifts us over to here under the reign of righteousness in Jesus. Remember that? We are now living in a new dominion under a new reign. And we praise and we thank God for this change. We have new hearts in this field. We have new desires. We want to obey the Lord. We are now slaves of righteousness. And we submit to the glory of God. But what we tend to do as Christians in this field, and I'm just, I'm, I'm at fault for preaching this way all the time, is it seems like the goal is just to avoid sin, just to avoid Satan. And that's, that's a good goal, of course. Remember the illustration, the, 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 the walls in the middle, and what we want to do in, in growth is we want to move further and further away from the wall, and, and we want Satan and sin's voice to grow faint. Yes, we want to kill sin, yes, but get this. The reason why we're trying to do all that, to turn away from sin, is not so we can end up in some neutral state. It's because so that we can exercise righteousness, so that we can live under the new reign of Christ as he is our Lord. So when we're killing and getting rid of sin, it's not just to get rid of it and to throw it off. It's also so we can put something on, clothe ourselves, and walk in righteousness. Really think that way. Because if you're just killing sin and throwing it off and you don't replace it with anything, then you're just going to get entangled in it again. Back in the day, it was a very embarrassing article, but I think it has a great point. Uh, John Piper, the great pastor, wrote this article, I think back in the 80s, on how masturbation hinders missions. What an embarrassing article. And the idea is that a young man hears the call to a world evangelization to be a missionary and wants to go out and spread the gospel so pumped up. And yet they have this life of lust that is just heaping shame on them and guilt in them. And they're, they're paralyzed. And so if we say, hey, you, you've got to throw off lust. The concept isn't just throw off lust, but throw it off so you can put on righteousness. So you can go out and share the gospel without the shame and, and this inner sin. You, you get that? So don't just think in your head, get rid of sin, but we want to put something on. We want to strategize for righteousness. And this strategy lingo comes in verse 19. Look at it. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now now Paul's putting it in human terms, a way that I can understand. He's basically saying, just like you used to be all in in your slavery to sin, and I was all in, just like you used to be all in, now be all in in your slavery to righteousness. And the same way you used to go all out in your sinning, now go all out in righteousness, leading to growth and sanctification. Just as you used to strategize and passionately pursue sin, so now strategize and passionately pursue righteousness. Specifically, it looks like this. For those of you who used to run after money, now take that same effort and skill and now run after generosity. For those of you who used to look upon others to lust and to covet, so now look upon others with compassion. Look upon those who are suffering. Just as you used to use your words to tear down and to curse others, now use your words with the same effort and probably even more effort to build up and to encourage others. If you're not using your words to intentionally build up others, your words will revert to your old ways. I'm not just talking about having a dirty mouth of cussing, but also just words that wound others. If you're not intentionally thinking, I want to use my words to build up, there is no neutral state. You will revert back to your old ways. So throw that off. Intentionally strategize how to encourage others. And just the way you used to manipulate others, now think of ways to serve them. Be a schemer in your serving. I want you to serve people so much that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. Serve people behind the scenes. Be a schemer. Serve others with such strategy. Just as you used to passionately pursue sin, now pursue righteousness. Verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. (laughs) Just think about the things we used to indulge in. (laughs) Those things lead to death, separation from God. Just think about the things you used to do and just the shame and the embarrassment that it brings just to even talk about them. I mean, I'm just embarrassed and ashamed talking about my ACT schemes. What, a, what an idiot I was. And I just think if there's worse things than that. Think about your nights of, of drunkenness. Aren't you ashamed of that? Just think about your, your times where you have pursued worthless things and wasted so much money. It's like, oh, I'm so ashamed of that. We had all these temporary pleasures, but they lead to this habitual shame. There's this famous phrase, you see it all the time, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Sure, the acts are done, but the shame remains and the embarrassment remains. There's like a new phrase I saw this week. I think I'm going to adopt this one. It says, what happens at the cross stays at the cross. 
I like that. What happens at the cross? All my sin and shame and embarrassment, I'm going to leave that there. Forgiven in Jesus. My old ways of living, I'm going to leave that there. I am crucified and buried in Christ. What happens at the cross stays at the cross. I now have freedom. Finish the passage up. Verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love it. It's righteousness that we get in Christ. It leads to fruit bearing and eternal life. Not to shame, but to sanctification. I love the concept of sanctification. It means to be set apart, to be used for God. As we walk in this righteousness, we're saying, God, whatever you want to do, do it through me. Whatever you want to do, use me. Use me however you want. I'm in this field, under this reign. Whatever you want to do. No shame in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are free to serve him now. Set apart for God. So as I've been talking about today, about this strategizing for righteousness, I ask you this. What is your plan? Do not assume that because you're a Christian with the Spirit of God living in you, that you're automatically going to do all these righteous things. There's got to be this plan. And I would go as so far to say there, there must be an intentional plan not just to throw off sin. I really think that you guys are good at that. Like if I'm struggling with something, I don't go near that place. If I'm thinking about something, I try not to think about it. You know, you guys are good about throwing off sin. You guys have strategies to fight sin. But do you have a plan? Do you have a strategy to put on righteousness? And as I close here, I want you to think about this strategy in terms of outside and inside. Outside of your sphere of influence, outside of your family, um, outside of those who you're close to, uh, even outside of your coworkers, how are you going to impact the world? There are people in our church that are such schemers, that, that have such strategies to help the poor, to help orphans, to help widows, to help refugees. And you may never know it, but I know it. Because a lot of times, they have to make these applications to organizations and they need a pastoral reference. And so I get all these references of all these inside schemers who are trying to strategize for godliness. But my guess is most of you agree with the idea of helping the poor, loving orphans and widows and refugees, and you want to do something about it. But my brothers and sisters, nothing is ever going to happen unless you get a strategy. You cannot walk out of here and you say, okay, I'm ready to help orphans. Where are the orphans? I'm ready to help widows. Where are the widows? I want a refugee. Where are the refugees? I mean, there are organized plans and organizations here in the area that you can plug into, even with our own church with regard to senior citizens. But if you don't have a strategy, you'll have this grand idea. I just really want to help the poor. I mean, we'll do it then. Get a plan. Get a strategy. Don't be talking about it. You have to strategize for righteousness. It won't just happen. And the same thing with those who are not just outside, but also inside of our sphere of influence. Those we work with, our family members, our roommates. 
we have to have this strategy to intentionally impact them with righteousness. Do not assume that you are going to love and serve your annoying roommate. I'm not asking you to tolerate the person. I'm asking you to come up with a plan to serve them. I'm not asking you to tolerate your kids or tolerate your spouse. Let's not create marriages where we just tolerate one another. We have to have a plan on how we're going to serve them. Yeah, yesterday morning, Saturdays are often some of my least favorite days because it's a challenge. I gotta, gotta be around my kids all day and they're like, they're, they're torturing me. And so I just, I know it's coming. So I gotta get a plan. I gotta get a plan. So I was up early in the morning. I said, Lord, help me get a plan to love these kids the way you want to love them. And, and it, it's not always pretty. Let me tell you that much. But I'm telling you, if we don't get a plan, and we think, I'm just going to tolerate them. Try not to yell at them too much today. That's not going to cut it. Think of how to strategize. How to strategize righteousness outside and inside. And the reason why we want to do this is that this is what God has called us to do. So what's your plan, man? What's your plan? Do you have one? Strategize. For righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us power and grace and you save us and you transfer us under the reign of Jesus. And may we be strategizers and not may be servants. And love those who are close, those who are far away, those who are suffering, those who need the gospel. Give us your strategy. May we not just sit back and wait for everything to happen. May we step up and serve intentionally. In Jesus' name.